the, the, the original quote, okay, so anyway, this is good. This is, this is the live frog. If I were to cut the episode and start here, I guess this would be the PG version. We can, <laughs> we can upload, which is that the idea, it's just a Mark Twain quote. If you have to swallow a live frog, do it first thing in the morning. If you have two frogs, swallow the bigger one first. And mm. there's actually a whole business book about this, which is that there are unpleasant things we avoid doing. And avoiding them makes them even more unpleasant. So, like, say you have right. a difficult email to write at work. And it it's like, first thing on Monday morning, it's like, sorry? It becomes a monster. Yes, because you've been avoiding it, because it's not just the thing itself. It's all the dread and cowardice mm. that you have piled up that you have to yeah. then fight through. Yeah. If you actually just did it, like, it wouldn't be that big of a deal, but it cuts off a bunch. It's not so much that it's hard. It just removes an enormous amount of wiggle room that you've gotten used to. Mm. Right? It is, it's like, it's like getting married. <laughs> and, um. you, know, it, 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 you know, you have, it's, it's like agreeing to take a job. Right? Before you sign on the dotted line, you can negotiate whatever you want. But once you do you're more or less stuck unless you do something really, really expensive. Yeah, your, your wiggle room. Yeah, exactly. It's gone. Right? And this is, this is hard, and this is terrifying, and this is the live frog. I love wiggle room. <sighs> I know. And that, that's the point. And that's why you feel the need to demonize leadership and authority because one thing leaders and authority have is that everyone knows like this is a fascinating thing that I've had to reverse my position on in the last year. Like I used to despise positional authority over moral authority. Oh, they're mm. just in charge because they like the fancy title and they play the right. corporate politics game. Right? But what I yeah. realized like, is that thing. the thing the positional authority gets you is you are painting a target on your back. If I say I am the director of engineering, which I'm in the process of doing, suddenly it means that all the problems, uh, not, I'm almost, I'm sort of acting director and you know, I'm filling in as director of engineering, but I'm not really owning the job. And so if mm -hmm. the release gets derailed because someone else is doing something or the engineers are unhappy because the, the salaries aren't there, it's like, hey, it's not my job to do those things. You know, go take it up with management. So I can, I can, I have wiggle room. But once I say, no, I am the director of engineering, then that creates expectations that I have to confront, which I do not like it from a comfort and ease perspective, right? It's easier to have the wiggle room and just do the fun parts that I want to do, you know, and accept all the live frogs I have to swallow. Mm. So you have to swallow and the frog in the morning. I don't, I don't have to solve everything, but if it doesn't get solved, it is obviously my fault. That's mm. what it means to be a positional authority, is that I am the focus of all the aggression in the system. And either I deal with it or I don't. But if I don't deal with, if I, if I avoid dealing with, if, if I, what's the right set of negatives here? If I let the wrong problems simmer too long, they will explode and I will lose my position. 
right? That is the trade-off of positional authority, is that you get to have everyone hate you, which is why only sociopaths run for office, because all the same people say, I would never put myself through that. <laughs> but, but bizarrely, because people put themselves through the ordeal, and then having invested that much energy in it, they try to hold on to the office, and therefore they at least have to go through the motions of solving enough problems to justify them holding that position. And, you know, it looks and is terribly toxic and corrupt, but it's like, it's also a sacrifice. It is not easy to be a king. You know, you see, it's easy to see all the perks. It's harder to see the fact that all, I mean, you know, but you've been a dad, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you're a kid, it looks like the adults have life so easy. They can do whatever they want. They have infinite money, infinite time, infinite control. You know, they don't see all the trade-offs you have to make to hold your position. <laughs> right. No, they don't. Right? And, no, they don't. Yeah. And this is this this is why positional authority, like I said, it's corrupt, it's dysfunctional, it's toxic, it worships Satan, but it's the only thing holding the word together. And I'm at the point now where I actually feel sorry for those people rather than envying or resenting them. Because oh. they so don't know a better me. way to do it, and it's something that needs to be done badly rather than not doing it at all. You're giving me the other side. Sorry? Well, you're you're giving me uh, the other side. You're giving me their okay. point of view. Ah, yes. I'm also giving you the other side of what happens after you confess your anger and eat your life wrong. This mm. is also what the other side looks... You asked me what happens on the other side. This is what happens on the other side. Is you have said, I am going to take the position of a man who owns his anger. And that sucks because A, uh, you've given up a lot of wiggle room, B, you will inevitably do it badly, and C, you kind of have to live with it. Yeah. Because it's very, once you've made that, but like, this is, this is the thing, and this is why you resent, uh, this is what I realized with my boss, you know, is that the reason I resent them not carrying, because like, there actually is an alternative. It's really hard, it's really rare, but it does occasionally exist. It's called servant leadership, right? Where the, yeah. like, Steve, Steve Jobs was a jerk, but he was not an asshole. He actually, um, I mean, he had his personality quirks and flaws, but he genuinely cared about the company and he genuinely cared about getting people to do the best work of their lives. And he was not really? gratuitously mean. He did not throw tantrums the way he did when he was younger just because he was upset. He was very efficient and brutally uh, honest because that's what he believed was the best way to get people to do the work. There He paid to do that. Yeah. Did I lose you? I think you're okay now. Yeah, I hit a dead spot. Um, so Steve Jobs um, was authentic in that he, I mean, I think I told you the story where I ran to my boss, and my boss reported to uh, Phil Schiller, who reported to Steve Jobs. 
And my boss, uh, he's Canadian, he was having a bad day. So he looked down, which for a Canadian to look down in, in a noticeable way is a big deal, right? Because he's not very emotional normally. It's like, what's wrong? And he goes, I don't know whether to kill myself or kill my boss. Mm. I said, okay, well, obviously it'd be preferable if you could kill your boss. He goes, yes. But then I would have to deal with his boss. And mm. at Apple, you knew that your boss suffered worse than you did. <laughs> And so that kept a lot of people alive because you knew it wasn't like, oh, yes, they just get to have all these cushy meals and fancy cars and do whatever. It's like, no, they work harder than we do. And Steve, you know, whatever he does to us, he's done to himself 10 times worse. Hmm. And so we know that he is putting himself through far more than we are going through. And therefore, we respected him. We disagreed with him. We got angry with him. He did some stuff that was stupid and wrong. And, you know, we got angry about it. But we knew that he was all in. He was not playing a game. He would literally rather die than let this company down. And, in fact, he did. Yeah. You know? You know? And so that's all say. It wasn't perfect. but respectable. That's respectable. Sorry? No. He wasn't a hypocrite. That's respectable. He was not. Yeah, he, he was really. So that does happen occasionally. And what happens is most people are not that strong. Right. Most people don't have anything at the center of their life that's strong enough to say, okay, this is the thing that is worth more than my ego that I will sacrifice everything for. So instead, they play the game, they do a little bit of useful stuff, and they do a lot of toxic, self indulgent stuff because they are unwilling, they, they, they don't know Christ, they don't know hope, they don't have a vision of something bigger than themselves, and so they refuse to eat the live frog. Mm. They refuse to bear their cross. They used to say, like, okay, because to, to bear your cross is to say, okay, this sucks. I could blame the system and everyone else, or I could say no. There is something wrong within me, which I must take ownership of and surrender to something greater than myself. And the reason you despise the executives is because they refuse to do that, which means you have to. They refuse to bear their cross. So now that cross descends upon you. And that sucks. Mm. And it's right. like children should not have to raise their parents. Right. And yet we do. And like this is this is this is Adam's this is Adam's fall. And Adam didn't know any better either. Because his mm. father wasn't per like the one thing his father could never teach Adam was how to repent from sin. Mm. Literally not Wait, possible for a perfect God. Wait, what do you mean? His father was God. Exactly. God could teach Adam, God could have taught Adam anything, but he couldn't tell him how to repent from sin because God did not know sin. Yeah. Like there, was no, there was no frame of reference that God could use to show Adam the thing he most desperately needed to learn. And so this is why I am so glad that they nailed Jesus to a cross because, damn it, it really is unfair to be born into this world 
and God absolutely deserves to suffer like we do. Hey, honey, honey. Chill. And if I had been there, I would have driven the nails myself. I have a few times in mystical visions. Because there is a lot of things to be angry about in this world, and we have a right to be angry. Do we? Absolutely. Hmm. Unfortunately, what is that says the Amy Grant song? I saw my pointing finger pointing back at me. Because everything I condemn others for, I do the exact same thing. Hmm. And this is the paradox of anger. I do. And so I own my anger. I crucify Christ. And then I turn around and let him crucify me. So do you feel like he deserved to die then? Yeah. Christ really? had to die. There was no way. I mean, well, this is the offering Jesus had with his father, right? That's the, he said, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup from me. If there is any other way. He had to is different than deserving, though. That's a What's different the difference. Frame. The implication. It's a different framing. Well, so has to implies there's an external objective necessity. Deserves to imply there's a subjective personal responsibility, right? Right. Yeah. But because Jesus is God, his external, yeah. his subjective reality is is his objective is our objective reality. That's why, like, if, if God Himself had to die, and the only way to do that was in the person of Jesus. A man who understood what it felt like to not be God. And he, literally, this is the this is beautiful, David. This is the mystery of the incarnation, that the objectivist had to become the subjective localized so it knew what it felt like. The, uh, the had to had to become the deserved to. And it was totally unfair and absolutely necessary. Because that was the only way to split the difference. God deserved to die, and the only way, paradoxically, that God could die was becoming not God, which made it unfair in one level, and yet absolutely right on a higher level. Hmm. And this is the horror and the glory that that is awaiting you on the other side of that live frog. Hmm. Is that you get to see Christ, and then you get to be Christ. And literally, as far as I can tell, this is exactly what it means to be a Christian. It is not just to be a citizen of Christendom, where we live in this religious law system handed down for thousands of years, and march along to all the little pretty... I mean, you, you despise this as much as I do, right? The shallow pageantry of Christendom. Mm-hmm. But that's what people have set up as a cultural alternative to facing this horrific encounter with the cross and with Jesus. 
It's like either you live by the dictates of this world and you give up your soul to just play by the rules of the game as it is, or uh, and then before there's Jesus, you have no choice. Either you play the game that the world gives you or you become an asshole and make the world play your game. Those were the only two choices. Mm. And most people still live in that world. Yeah. Right? And this was this is the compact. I, we get to be the elite and tell you what to do. You get to hate and despise us for being jerks. And that's a stable system. That is how most societies have functioned for thousands of years. You know, that's, that's what it means to have an empire, is that there's a ruling class and there's a working class. And the ruling class is seen as incredibly decadent and corrupt. And the working class is seen as, as incredibly childish and lazy. And they despise each other, and that's how society works. And without Christ, we can't do any better. But if Christ came, if Christ died, if Christ rose again, suddenly we don't have that cop-out. We now have a name for our condition. It is called sin and alienation from God. And there is a, it's like narcissism. There's now a, you know, labeling that problem. Once we have that label, then we have no excuse. Either we Mm. decide, yes, I am going to follow Jesus, take up my cross, deny myself, and own my sin and submit myself to the process of being disciplined, discipled, into actually becoming like Jesus, or I will deny Jesus and say, you know, Jesus, I know you said all these things, but, and maybe you're true, but I'd rather just take my 30 pieces of silver and go home. You don't believe him. Yeah. Hmm. Or worse, like Peter, you believe him wrongly. I believe Jesus as long as I don't have to die. <laughs> oh, I see. Hmm. Or maybe the way, I put, the way I say it now, people believe in the human Jesus. They refuse to, be, uh, you know, they refuse to believe in the, in the crucified Christ. They'd like to think that Jesus didn't have to die, and therefore I don't have to die. And like Peter, we say, no, no, Lord, never you. But then he has to die. The way the world was set up was fundamentally unfair. And somebody has to pay a price, and no human is strong enough to pay it. That is the sucky human condition we are stuck in, and we're stuck in before Christ. But... I mean, is there some natural, I mean, is there some natural reason, like, that bloodshed and death pays for it, or did God decide that's how it has to be? Um, yes. (laughs) But... There are no words I can tell you that will make sense. 
Really? Once you've experienced it, then you will understand. Hmm. In part. Like, I, like, it makes sense given who I have become. But it's like, you know, people will tell you when you have kids, you would die for your kids. Mm-hmm. And you can see, you know, like, so I can see how that might make sense. But mm-hmm. I have no idea what that actually means. But now you do. At least on good days. <laughs> when you have teenagers, maybe it's like, oh, I'm not so sure I would. But, you know, in general. <laughs> yeah. Right? Is there the thing that happens when you cross a threshold, you're like, oh, yeah, now I see. And, like, the simplest one is that this is what it takes, is that, and then this is, let me pause, because I think this is important. I talked about how in positional authority, it's actually important that there be a long, painful training process so you understand the worth of the thing that you are taking on, right? If it was a random lottery that selected president, which isn't the worst idea in the world, it speaks to something similar, you know, <laughs> then it's like, well, I randomly got this thing, I'll do it, but if it gets hard, I'm going to bail because I have not invested anything in it. And the reason that following Christ is hard and, and like the decision to follow Christ ought to be hard is because living it out is actually, is almost as hard. Mm. And, you know, there is an alternate universe. I had an atheist friend on Facebook tell me this. It's like, God is the God of all kinds of goodness. And there's one universe where everything actually is just perfect. There is no fall. There is no sin. There is no drama. There is no conflict. Everyone just lives peaceful, happy lives and then dies peacefully at the age of 120 and nothing ever seriously goes wrong. That is one universe that God created. And then he created this one, which is full of drama and conflict and struggle and glory and pain. And it's like, you know, Maybe God, you know, is that those, those, like, in some sense, maybe God did have that option. He could have created, maybe he even did create a pain. We wish we were in the baby universe, right? Where no one ever really had to grow up, where everything mm-hmm. just seemed like perfect, innocent childhood all the time. Right. But when we were adults, we say, you know, upon sober reflection, I think I would rather grow up and like struggle and fail rather than just have someone stick a tube in me and, you know, never have to make any hard or meaningful choices in my life. And Hmm. it is not an easy choice to make, (laughs) but it's like, like growing up and like, you know, as I do, there's a whole bunch of this generation, our generation, not to mention the ones that come after, that literally choose not to grow up. Yeah. Because they don't have the cultural norms forcing them to do so. For good reasons. But this this is the thing. You have a choice. And, like, because you are my friend, because we've walked this road together, you can't pretend that there is no third way. You've seen it in the Swan Factory. You've walked it at various points. You know there's a way to say, like, hey, I might fail, but I could try. Mm. And all you have to do is swallow one live frog, and then the journey begins. 
And maybe okay. I'll leave you with that. All right. All right. Fair enough. I think I will try and cut this video. Uh, <laughs> to, I just start with the live blog part and leave all the obscenities from the first half out. <laughs> okay. And we will talk again soon, all right? All right. Sounds good. I love you, my brother. Thanks for walking through this journey with me. Thank you. Can't wait to see what happens next. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye.